Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this, the 29th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. And, um, boy, do we have a good one for you tonight. Um, we're celebrating all things Woodworking Safety Day. Now, our, our, we have to thank our friend Mark Spagnuolo over at the Wood Whisperer. Um, about five years ago, he really started this whole wood, uh, Woodworking Safety Week at the time and since shrunk it down to a day to kind of crystallize it a little bit more. Um, but really, it's, it's a time that, you know, as we as woodworkers kind of take a moment to, to sit down and think a little bit about safety. Um, you know, it's things we don't normally think about a lot in, in the shop. I mean, we're, we're thinking about, you know, I want to get the new router bit or I want to get the new bandsaw blade or I want to try this technique. But very rarely do we just take the time to focus on safety. And the problem is it just doesn't take long uh, for something to go wrong in the shop and, and leave you with, Something that'll hurt for a while, or maybe something that'll change the way you woodwork or type or do other things in the world. So, um, yeah, so it's a good, it's a good chance to, uh, to, to sit down and talk about it. Guys, what do you think about safety? Y'all in favor of it? Absolutely. Most definitely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things I think everybody can get behind. Uh, it's just, you know, everybody's got a little different approach to it, but there's certainly some things that we can, uh, we can, we can think about. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about, um, a little bit about, whoa, am I still here? Yeah, okay, you're, you're still there. And I'm still here. Okay, good. It probably is a good uh, idea for you to lead this subject off. Okay, the most well, recent because, experience. Because I had a recent experience that just, you know, kind of brought it all home to me. Um, I was working on a little project. It's one of those little, uh, I built these little crosses for nieces and nephews when they, when they get their first communion or something like that. So what I did was I was uh, just cutting some small pieces on, um, on the table saw. Um, I needed a piece about three quarters of an inch thick. And it was a piece of mahogany. So it was, it was a nice piece of wood. And I ripped that out. And, you know, while I'm ripping there, I'm looking down at the saw, and I noticed that I had my splitter guard combination off the saw. Um, the little voice inside my head that screams, you know, you're not really doing it right, uh, was telling me at the time, perhaps you should put that on. But I'm thinking, oh, I just have two more cuts. And I made the first rip cut. Um, and it went, it went fine. It, it, it was an eighth of an inch, and it fell to the side. And, I had it so it fell out from the, uh, <clears throat> from the, uh, from between the fence. I didn't cut it an eighth of an inch on the fence between the fence and the blade. I cut it, you know, eighth of an inch hanging off the outside. I was like, good work. You know, it just drops right off. It doesn't burn, doesn't get caught, anything like that. And I reset the fence and I went to push the second one through and I noticed that the piece was falling off the table and I, I, I turned my attention to it with a push stick in one hand and, 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 and the saw and the board still between the saw blade and the fence. And when I looked, something happened. I think I might have turned my wrist a little bit. And this board, I'm holding the offending board here, um, piece of holly, did the, it, it danced. You could see this, this is a telltale scar mm. on the board that says, yeah, you, you had a kickback. Um, so Tom, you were cutting that and you, you again had an eighth on the outside of the blade. So that big yeah. piece was in between the blade and the fence. It wasn't the like you were cutting a tiny little piece. No, no, it wasn't like a little sliver of wood that was going to shoot back into the door of the tap. This was the piece I had because I heard that it was, you know, better to cut things to the outside so you don't get this small piece having to shoot back on. Well, it I, turns out the big piece shot back. 
Well, I think you're you are probably less likely to have kickback in the first place if the small piece is outside. The problem is that when you yeah. do get kickback, now the big piece <laughs> it's a big it's big. a much bigger piece. Yeah. And um, again, I go back to the point that uh, I was I was well in error of not having my splitter on. But can I um, ask you a question about that? Sure. I'm not going to pretend that in any way people should do what I do. Uh, I'm not an expert in this, but I threw the splitter away the day I got my saw. I mean, the, and the, I say the splitter. I, I threw the garbage factory blade guard away, which included okay. the splitter. Um, okay. And that was really it, is that I find the saw impossible to use with the, the crappy Delta blade guard. And that's been true of every saw I've ever owned. Um, okay. I've got the micro jigs aftermarket splitters that have been sitting in a box next to my table saw for a year, and I've yet to install them. Um, so do you usually do you actually have the splitter on most of the time and you just most of the time I do. it off? Okay. Most of the time I do. And um and, and you know, I, I'm gonna explain a little bit. I did a little research after I got after I after I finished my story about how I got injured. Um I did a little research on kickback and I was gonna explain to you a little bit about the mechanics of it. Um but as the board came back, um I wasn't completely out of the way of the blade. You know, typically what you do is you stand to an angle and you push across so when that blade, if anything should kick back, it just kicks back behind you, and you're okay. You go, woo, am I lucky? Um, but instead, I was standing more on to the saw. And as I felt the piece lift, um, you know, this is not something you could push it down and hold it down and say, I'm going to hold on to it. Uh, my saw has just a horse and a half motor. But when it caught that the teeth on the back end and started to shoot back, it went. And rather than hit the wall behind me, it actually hit me in the side. Um, between the pelvis and the ribs, right in the right in the oblique, right here. I think and it's called it the gut. Felt, it's the side of the gut, not straight on in the navel, but sort of off to the side. I'm not going to lift my shirt, but oh, pl- was, could you was, please? Oh, okay. Well, okay. Hold on for a second. I'll, we'll get into a conversation about that as well. <laughs> but it, it didn't hit here. It actually hit here. Um, so I was kind of off to the side, standing off to the side, but far enough to avoid being hit. And um. It felt, and I'm going to tell you, it felt like I got hit in the stomach by somebody who wound up and punched me as hard as he could. And it was, it was, it was instant. I knew, I just, oh, and I even lost my breath. Um, so the first, you know, the first thing I'd done when I felt it coming up, I pulled my hands back, which probably why I still have 10 fingers. I, I was going to ask, when the, when it happened, did you, did you fall into the saw at all? No, my, my actually, I, I, when I felt the move, I kind of came like this reflexively to protect my face, which took my hands off the table. But I have heard of people who've been hit and then reached forward and then right in the blade. I I, I, yeah, and I, I can tell you a story about a guy hitting the blade, right. and I'll tell you that I'm going to assume that in most cases, having the board hit you is better than you hitting the blade. Yeah, and, and everything's still connected. And, and yeah. believe me, it, 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 it drilled back into me. Now, I didn't go see a doctor. Um, it, was a, it was an abrasion. It was a very an, an laceration. It just hit with force. And you can actually see the edges of the board where they made contact and ripped the skin open. And for the first, you know, I don't know, about four or five hours, there was no bruise. Now the bruise has kind of gotten to the size of about the diameter of a grapefruit. Uh, very dark blue, purple kind of kind of bruise. It hit with tremendous force. And, um, you know, the skin was broken, so I was bleeding a little bit. It wasn't like I was gushing or anything. Um, so I went inside, put some ice on it, and then I, I got some gauze to wrap it up in. And the funny thing was I went to my mom's house later that day and she's like what happened what happened i didn't want to show her you're worried stuff i'm sure when she she reads my post today i'm like well she's gonna she's gonna freak out i'm actually waiting for the phone call momentarily i'm sure uh from a mom reading the post and wondering what the heck's going on with me now part of what i've been doing the past couple days um 
I did been doing a little research on what causes kickback. And I'm going to start out by saying the, the table saw is a tool you need to respect tremendously. It can do some really good stuff, but man, when it goes sideways, it gets bad in a hurry. Um, it's the number one tool. Tools of rotary blades, number one tool you get injured on. And it's the dynamic of the blade. Um, when you look at a bandsaw, you have the ribbon of steel with the teeth on it. And there's only one direction that blade cuts. It pulls down to the table, and the teeth grab the board, and every tooth just keeps cutting down. And it goes up, but inside the column. Right. So it's far away. It doesn't ever touch the board when the, when the teeth are pointed up and coming up. So it wraps around the blade, the wheel at the bottom comes up and then cuts down. With a table saw, you have the blade spinning. So in the space of that diameter, in the front, when you see the blades, they're actually cutting down into the wood. And that's a controlled cut. You have the table there, you're pushing into it. It's actually pulling the piece of wood down. The problem comes in is when you get to the back of the blade. Because the teeth are now going around that radius, when they get past 9 o'clock and they start to come out of the table, there's a tremendous force grabbing and pushing that board back at you. So what happens is the splitter, Diami, what it does is it keeps mm -hmm. anything from hitting those back teeth. Basically covers so those back it, teeth. It, it, what, it doesn't cover them. What it does is it protects. Well, it, it, you can't push the board into them. You have the well, it does there. cover it's to the inside. effect that it can't. That yeah, the, the board can't, can't fall on top of that. It yeah, can't, can't go on top. It's going to land on that. Chris, are you thinking of a riving knife versus a splitter? Well, no, they're both the, they're both the same thing. Yeah, but they're both going to. I just it, a riving knife is going to specifically really cover, but but even a splitter is still going to it's still going to come over it and protect that keep that that board yeah, from falling it's gonna, on top it's of it. It's going to get into the curve of the board, and then you're not going to be able to twist that board at all to get onto the back teeth. And that's where all your problems happen is once you get under the back teeth, the force of the saw coming up and throws that board back at you. And that's where the hold down pawls also come into effect too. If you have a splitter with the pawls, because mm. if it starts to back up, they're going to jam down on the saw to keep it from rising, the piece of wood to keep it from rising. And the splitter will keep the teeth away from the board. So as you push it through, it protects that back of the blade from pinching right. and impinging on it. Now, there's a couple ways around it. Number one, operator error, I removed the splitter from my saw. Now, I still have the stock splitter, and it's a really cool little system on the rigid saw because it's a post that has a notch on it in the back. And once you set the, the, um, and once you set the splitter up parallel, you know, so it's right inside the blade, it's just a quick twist of a thumb screw. You can pull it off to do dado, and then you're supposed to be able to just slip it right back on the post and tighten up one thumb screw, no tools, and it's back to where you set it. So for that's a great system. Actually, I've really you know I've been 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 very happy with that system. It's just it was I got lazy. I got lazy and I pulled it off the saw. And now, have you always used that, Tom? I mean, have you always had had that when on I don't your table a, saw? When I, yeah, I always have. And when I'm not making a through cut, uh, if I'm just grooving something or slotting something, the danger of kickback is minimized because you don't have something being separated and pinched against the blade. So you typically don't see a kickback on if you're doing a dado. Um, but, but the problem is, is when you're making that through cut, that piece can pinch back and then kick back. Mm. And it was, it wasn't until this board went all the way through the blade that it actually kicked. Right. So it was beyond. And then as soon as this piece caught the blade, it came right back at me. Um, the other thing I've noticed is that, you know, in order to get the kickback on this saw, you have to have the back teeth rising and the board pressed against the fence. This way it can leverage, it gets leverage to push mm -hmm. it up back towards you. 
So what the Europeans have done, and actually the Delta Unifence does this, um, if you want to buy it in the States, is what they do is they you have can't buy it anymore. You can't buy it anymore. That's they the stopped thing. making the Unifence three, four years ago. I know, because it wasn't as popular as the Beesmont. Hmm. What happens is you can retract the European style fences or the or the or the uh, or the Unifence back to where about the arbor nut is in the saw. So when you push that piece through, it just runs into it gets it, it's guided all the way to contact with the front teeth, which is all the cutting you need. And then when it gets in the back, there's nothing for it to lever against to push back against you. So by doing this partial fence business, it reduces the likelihood of a kickback. Mm. Now, I've seen people do it where they just clamp a piece of wood, you know, maybe a fence like three-quarters of an inch or an inch thick to the point where it goes to the middle of the arbor nut. And then what they do is the rest of the fence is still there, but it's an inch recess. So when you get the board there, it's not going to have anything to push against once it gets to the back of the teeth. And I'm really looking now at the possibility of upgrading my saw seriously now at um, looking for a saw with a riving knife. And there's a difference between a riving knife and a splitter. And uh, maybe something building some sort of small short fence. So I don't ever want to deal with this again. This is this is once in a while for me. It, it's funny because as you know, I like I said, I've never even I couldn't tell you how the splitter fits on my saw. When I was putting the saw together out of the box, I looked at it, I said, nope, and I threw it away. Not a chance. Um, that being said, I've watched a good friend of mine take two fingers off with a table saw. <laughs> I got to drive to the hospital, um, so I'm all too aware of this. And as far as I'm concerned, the only safe table saw is the saw stop. And I have a, I have a Delta right now because it was a new house and it was a $200 saw. Um, but the only time I will upgrade to a saw is when I buy a saw stop. But here's an interesting thing about the saw stop. There's two kinds of accidents at the table saw. Right. Oh, I, no, I understand it's still the going to catch. Still I, I, I do understand yeah. that. But when we're talking about hand-to-blade versus wood-to-body, yeah, I think hand to blade is that they're both serious and both, both bad. I mean, um, if but, I had a piece of wood stuck through my gut, it would have been bad. Yeah, if I was impaled by a piece of wood from my table saw, it would have been in a really bad situation. As supposed to put my fingers in a bag, like which a is still not a good situation. So again, but you know, any of the blade sensing technologies will stop the impact. The the the, the flesh but your skin the has to touch, right? Your, your flesh has, has to touch. To touch. Yeah. That's right. But you can still... Unless you're holding a hot dog. Well, as I often like do while I'm cutting. I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but the funny thing so, is that you still can get that kickback. And that's and that's the one thing that we have to remember. Now, the beauty about the saw stop is that also, like, all saws sold in the United States now. It has to have the riding knife. Well, it, I was going to say, I mean, I... And and I'm... To be honest, I'm like the army. And, and not that I... Most of the time, it's because I've... You know, most of the saws that... I mean, since I was a kid, I've always used... They've never had a riving knife or, or any of that. I think when I was in when I was in shop, I think we had one that that did. But other than that, I, I never have. I've I've always just used. But my I've always got the impression that that the riving knife is probably one of the better options. What and what you've looked up? What is what are they? What did you find was as far as research wise that they saying would be the best solution? Okay, here's what I found. The first thing is a splitter is an older technology. What happens is a splitter, you've got a piece of metal like this, and you've got the blade that comes up in an arc. Right. So what happens is that splitter stays in one place. It doesn't move with the blade. So if you want to make a, 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 a if you want to make a groove, just one side, like if you're going to cut a plow, a, a groove for a drawer, let's say, mm -hmm. for me to do that, it's not a through cut. I have to take that splitter off the fence, off the saw and lay it down. 
which is exactly what happened when I was making splines for my niece's confirmation box. I took the splitter off because you can't go through the splitter. The riving knife actually hooks around the curve of the blade. So it's really only about an eighth of an inch off the back of the blade. Yeah, it snugs right up to the back side. It snugs right up. The other thing is it's just a little bit below the height of the blade. Now, this may sound like no big deal, but what happens is if you're going to cut a little groove for a drawer, you can lower that blade, and that riving knife is going to interfere with you pushing that piece of wood through. So if you wanted to do a non-through cut, you could do that. You could set up a spline jig and cut with the riving knife still in place, okay? And then just as soon as you're done, you throw the jig off the table, you crank up the blade to make an next cut, and that riving knife is still there. You don't have to remove it as much. Yeah, the only time you're taking... Remove it. You you don't have to remove it as much. There's a good chance it's still going to be there when you make it. Right. Yeah, that's that's just it. You want to be able to set it and leave it. And as I can think of, the only time you take a riving knife off is if you're going to dado. Exactly. So if you're going to set a dado and you're going to cut a dado, but at that point, what we can do is we can, you know, as soon as you take and these and these riving knives are not complicated. The rigid I've got has a really simple system, but I used to own a Delta bench top, and it thing would take forever. You needed screwdrivers to put the splitter and the guard back on. I threw that. Um, but the beauty about the the riving knives is they just pop right in, pop, and then when you need to get them out, you squeeze and pop. It's all there where you're changing the blade. So if you're doing a change from a regular blade to a dado blade, you have to remove the riving knife anyway. You set it aside, and then when you take the throat plate off to return to the normal blade, you just pop that in, and you're good to go. All these seem to have these interchangeable pull-out riving knives. I mean, I've checked out the Rigid. I've checked out the Laguna. I've checked out you know, the Delta ones now. And they all seem to have, they just grab that, and there's just a little spring catch, and it pops up, and you can put it aside from the data. Again, the beauty about that riving knife is it sits there, and you bevel, and you pivot, and all that other stuff, and it rides right behind the blade. I'm at the point where I've really... For me, for my safety, I really need to have that splitter on. So for me, the next step, you know, also because all these saws all now have good dust collection as well. I've got a contractor saw that just spits the dust out. So all these now have more enclosed bases, so they suck the suck the sawdust out better. And then arriving at the two things that are really making me think about it. Well, I think I think you know the the point is is if you look at all of the power tools and stuff we use, and you know this is we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but if you take all the power tools and you go, what do I know that someone's got hurt from? Almost all of us can can oh, yeah. say, I knew a guy that got hit. You know, Diami had you know his his friend lost a couple of fingers. I knew uh, there was a guy I um, I was working with on a job uh, last year. Um, l- literally, he had four fingers on one hand. The middle finger was completely gone, all the way back to the wrist, um, and. He he did exactly like we were talking, like you were talking about. Instead of where he threw his hands up, he stumbled and came forward, and his hand came right down on top of the blade and and took it completely out. So, you know, we we all know that. I mean, I I've I've been fortunate that I've never had anything serious happen. But you know, even you know the the one time that I can say I had a really close call was. Um, you know, I was I think I was in high school at the time. I had uh, we were working in my my dad's shop. I had a board almost the exact same size as the one that hit you in the gut, kicked back and hit um, hit a garage door that was an oak garage door and split this oak garage door. And this thing was, I mean, you're talking probably inch and a half thick, inch and a quarter thick. You know, so there's a tremendous amount of force. Mm. And these things come off the side, like you said, Chris, at a tremendous speed. It's not 
it's not something that's going to just bump into you and it's going to, you know, oh, that, 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 that tickles or something. <laughs> it doesn't gonna, smart. It, it hurts like hell. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, it just, you know, it gives me pause because every time I, there's an injury in the shop, yeah, I hear about an injury. I think, what needs to be done? And, you know, I look at some of my techniques and there's the time it's like, you know, I don't have to break out a clamp. I'll just hold that piece of wood close to the, to the miter saw. <sighs> you know, I mean, I, this is my hobby. And it's funny because I woodworkers guild board meeting tonight. I told people, I said, you don't normally expect to see this when you golf. <laughs> I mean, you don't expect to have a gruesome injury to yourself when you golf. Um, I'm not afraid to come back out to the shop, but I want to stack the deck in my favor. I think that's what it is. It's not fear. It's, 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 I want to, I want to make sure that there's another system there that's a fail safe. And maybe it's me as an emergency manager. Maybe I'm a belt and suspenders kind of guy. But for me, you know, the more I think about, you know, and I want to, you know, I want to be able to play ball with my kids. I want to, I want to be like, I can't grab anything because I'm missing fingers. I want to be able to enjoy a full life. The other thing is I live by how I type. As a mm-hmm. communicator, I have to type. If I'm missing fingers, I got to relearn how to touch type. You know, it's, it's going to be my livelihood. So I've got to really be careful with this router table, with the, with the table saw, with the band saw, with the chops saw, with any tool. I've got to really think about it's not just my hobby, it's my livelihood as well. It right. could be affected by this. So it, it's something I have to think about. Very much. I'm mm-hmm. conversation, aren't I? <laughs> no, I mean, but it's, but it's, you know, we're talking about safety stuff. Yeah, it is well you deserved. Have, yeah. You had a valid, you know, something that happened that, that's, you know, so no, it's, we want to hear been, about exactly what happened. It's, it's been like 18 months since I hurt myself in the shop, so it's relevant that you're talking. You know, I don't want to make this a regular thing, but it's kind of funny. A couple of years ago, just before Woodwork Safety Week, or just after, I cut my finger with a hedge trip and to go get, you know, eight <laughs> stitches on it. So it's, I guess it's something about this time of the year, you know, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not putting it to use. So maybe I don't know what's going on. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you something I did the other day. And this is a very, very, very minor accident. I mean, it wasn't really an accident, mm-hmm. but you know, um, my, my 12 inch planer, I was, um, the, the rollers on it, those rollers under there, they get to where they just, they won't do anything. So I always take some alcohol take a rag and just wipe those rollers down really well with some alcohol and and it just cleans all the crap off and then they end up pulling the wood through a little better. I did the right thing. I unplugged it so it's not working. I cranked it up and I was down there with that rag and I've got the rag with the alcohol and I'm swiping it back and forth and I didn't even think about it and all of a sudden I felt something kind of sting and pulled my finger out and in two spots I had completely Completely sliced my fingers open, and I—I I, I was at first I was shocked because I'm like, "How did I do that?" And then I'm like, "Duh, there's two blades <laughs> underneath." <laughs> <blades. laughs> Christopher, they use these you things know, in woodwork. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and the funny uh, thing is about about all this is we're talking about mostly power tools, and you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because you know there there are accidents that happen with hand tools as well. And you think about, you know, you get somebody who's just, they're not thinking. They take, they take their, their, their chisel and they're holding the board like this. And, you know, <laughs> and whoops, you know, you're going right in. And it, 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 it's, it's funny. It's, it's, we think, we think safety, but we don't necessarily think safety all the way through. Um, if a, one tool bites, we're wary of that one tool. But, you know, I've heard stories about people who are done routing, they take the router and they set it down by their leg. I've actually set it down in my other hand, which is a great place to rest it when you're done. Yeah. 
But like, yeah, you know, like kind of look back and kind of put it down. Yeah, I um, you know, so these are the kinds of things. It's like you know, where if you, you know, depends on your experience individually. If you've been bit by a tool, you tend to be leery of that one. But then there's the other tools as well, and it's the kind of thing where you have to think, you know, across your entire shop span. You know, I mean, even a drill press. If you got, you know, I've seen people wearing gloves working with a drill press. You get caught in that. That's going around. And when I was making the the teacup caddies in December, I was mm-hmm. using the drill press to drill them out, and uh, one of them caught, and it just took this piece, and it just whipped around the drill press, and it was caught on the drill press, so it wasn't flying mm-hmm. off anywhere, but it whacked me as it went around once or twice. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think the drill press is probably a little harder to hurt yourself on the table saw, but, but it's, it's not going to mess you up. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely. I think the bottom line is, you're in the shop, you got to pay attention, you got to be safe, and you got to be thinking about what you're doing as you're doing it. That's when I, I think accidents can happen anytime, certainly. But accidents are most often to happen when you're not paying that close enough attention in whatever tool. And the other using. thing is, you know, you take you take a shortcut. I mean, I still remember the one time I had to make one cut with a jigsaw. How many people get hurt a year in a jigsaw? I, it's the, honestly, this is weird. But of all the power tools, all the tools in my shop, the jigsaw is the one that I'm sure I'm going to cut myself on someday. It nice. scares the hell out of me. Well, the funny thing about the jigsaw was I was cutting aluminum jam for somebody's screen door. It was at their house, and I had to install a door, and I was helping them out. I cut, and this piece, I could still I still remember. It flew, it, 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 you know, the piece of aluminum came right up, and I could see it go right into my eye. And it went right in, and it was, like, stuck there. And I was like, oh, shit. So I kind of rinsed it out, and I could still see, you know, it was, like, starry and stuff, and I went to the doctor. And it, um, I had to get, you know, antibiotic eye drops and these, these steroidal drops to keep the swelling down. And I was seeing a little star action around things. It was, you know, you think there's no way it can hurt, but, you know, just forgetting those safety glasses. And the thing was, I still remember that day, I went back to the big box, I can't remember which, which big box store I went to. And I bought about six more pairs of safety glasses and put them around the shop <laughs> near tools and in toolboxes. And, oh yeah, I've got to put those on because, you know, it's the, it's, it, there, there, there's, there's, there's mistakes of the mind, and then there's just things that happen. And you know, your well, mistake of the mind is like you put your hands up place, or you forget, and then there's just stuff that happens, like the freak thing where something lands in your eye. So you want to have the personal I, protection on. Right, and I and I think one of the things to to think about is a lot of times when we think about shop safety and stuff, we think about the table saw, we think about getting cut with a bandsaw, we think about getting cut with a router. Um, but there's other things we have to keep in mind. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us are in there using, you know, maybe you're using exotic woods. I mean, maybe you're you're using wenge or, or walnut even. Or you're in there sanding with that stuff. I mean, that's, that's it's hazardous. You know, you need to have you need to have a respirator on. You need to have something to protect your eyes. I mean, so there's a lot of other things we do in the shop. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to bring up, too, was um, it, about six months ago, um, there was a guy back up in, in my hometown where I, I grew up. They uh, they came out one morning and found his shop burnt to the ground, completely decimated, and Finishes. he did what we we talk about, and you don't think about it. He had a wipe on polyurethane. He was doing a wipe on polyurethane, so he had his rag all bundled up. And when you do that wipe on, you know you're bundling that rag up really tight, and you've got it, and and it build up in there. And then he just took and didn't think about it, and he threw it in the trash can. Uh. It's an exothermic reaction. It'll heat up to the point where it combusts. It builds up heat and just combusts, and he completely burnt the shop to the ground. And, you know, and it happens. But we just don't think about that. And one of the things in, in my shop I always do, I don't I, – I realize that it's it's 
you know, when I finish using a rag that I'm using to finish on it, I open it all the way up. At that point, I know it's not going to do anything, but even then, I still lay it in the middle of my shop floor on the concrete with nothing around it. Just because it's just like I'm not going to tell any yeah. chance. I lay so, mine out on the apron just outside the garage, so when the project's done, they all kind of blow into the garden next to it, so I get to pull <laughs> this pile of crusty, solidified right. rags out of the garden. But you're absolutely right. You, you, you know. You don't think about something like when you don't think about something like that. That objectively you shouldn't have to think about, but you do. Well, it's little things like that, and you know the, the fact right. is, is most of us hobbyists, we do it out of our house. So, just a simple thing is taking a rag at the end of it and throw it in a trash can in your shop, and you've burned the house down with 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 your whole family. In it. And you think about it, you know, you, you go to a commercial shop someplace, and there are so many regulations and. You know, there has to be dust collection, there has to be spray booths with ventilation, everybody has to have PPE, personal protection equipment. And, you know, you do it in your shop and you're like, oh, good, I bought a drill today. Look, I can build stuff now. I bought a drill. And, you know, the last thing you're thinking about is that safety aspect. And it's, you know, it, you know, it's, it's the, you, know, you want to get the wood, you want to get the tools, you want to build. Um, the last thing you want to think about is, okay, now I have to be careful about it. But if you don't, you know, I mean, the thought of removing the finger just scares the hell out. Yeah, I mean, as a construction, you know, like for me as a construction manager, I go to the job site, and every time I'm on a job site, I'm like, you know, hounding everybody. You got steel toe boots on. You got on. You got a hard hat on. You got a reflective vest. You, I'm looking at their cords. Hey, you've got a cord that's frayed on the end. You know, you're not wearing your safety glasses when you're running a skill style. You're not, and just all this stuff. And then, you know, you sometimes I get my own shop, and I'm standing in the shop in a pair of shorts and. <laughs> You know, and sandals in there working and and cutting with with no safety glasses. So I'm like, wait a minute, why why am I doing this any different? And I have to step back and go, okay, you know, look, I've I've got to still maintain certain levels of it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're not we don't want anybody to be nervous now. We don't want this to become something where we're like, oh my god, I can't woodwork. I mean, right? People woodwork for a long time and they don't get hurt, but because they're using the tools properly because they're not getting drunk or, or they're on, you know, some sort of medication that's making them dopey and they're, and they're taking their time. They're not rushing through things. I'm telling you, the last cut of the night is the most dangerous cut to make. If you're out there at 10 o'clock at night, you're like, Oh, I got to hurry up to get this done so I can glue this up. You're bound to hurt yourself because you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're thinking five steps ahead. Right. And that's when you make cut things short. That's when you, cut things on the wrong side, you build two left sides of a cabinet, you cut yourself. And it, it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you're not in the moment with woodworking, I hate to sound so zen about it, but if you're not in the moment, you're asking for trouble sometimes. Yeah. Very true. Now, here's an interesting discussion. Steve Ramsey today, uh, woodworking for mere mortals, brought up an interesting point. He, he called it woodworking porn. Um, it seems to be a trend that when somebody gets hurt, they post a picture of it, um, and his thought was that are we trying to scare people away from the craft by just showing this gratuitous bloodshed? Um, not much blood showing, but still, it was a pretty gnarly looking wound. Um, what do you guys thought on this? I mean, is it is it a, is it a, is it a tutorial? Is it a good learning lesson, or is it something that's just grotesque? I'm a hypocrite about it because I don't really like looking at it, other people's injuries. That being said. When I dropped the router into my palm, soon as I was 
coherent enough to watch them stitch it together. I pulled out my phone, I took a picture of the doctor stitching up my hand, and I tweeted it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not going to say I don't share in the in the gore, but um, I don't I don't think it's productive. I'll put it that way. Except in the rare occasions, it's kind of like the the no smoking campaigns. You show teenagers blackened lungs all you want. It statistically doesn't matter. It's the other yeah. stuff that you have to teach them about. So I don't think it's necessarily scaring people off. I don't know that it's constructive to the conversation. I think the conversation overall is constructive, but whether or not you show the picture, I don't think that makes much difference. Okay. I think at some point, I think it validates the person who got hurt to share it more than anything. I, I completely um, agree with that. I, I think that's it. You know, when when I was in the army, um, you know, in in our hangar, because you know, one of the things that that was a big hazard for us because you were you were always climbing up and down helicopters doing pre-flight inspections and all that, and, and when if you were wearing a ring and the the helicopter had rivets all over it, and this happened to me once, I actually caught a ring, you know, my wedding band on a rivet, and and luckily it get let go. But there was pictures all over the hangar of basically this hand with a degloved ring finger and the skin laying beside of, and it was hideous. I mean, it was, and I bet there was twenty of those posters around the hangar, and it's like. Okay, okay, I get it. But, you know, it, it, in the end, I don't know. I, especially, I, I think most of the time when I think when people pull stuff up, they look at it like that just because out of curiosity and stuff. Yeah. I think what's important is discussions. I think what's important is sharing information, is going, okay, you know, yes, these things can happen, but let's just don't talk about what can happen. Let's just don't talk about cutting fingers off and, and having – but. How do you practice safely? How do you do things safely? How do you cut safely? You know, and, and, you know, there's, we're never, no one's ever completely prepared for some, for, for an accident, but we try to be as prepared as we can. And then we, we, we go from a 50% chance down to a 2% chance. So you're trying to stack the deck in your favor. Right. We're just stacking the deck. So product, you know, whether it's, it's, it helps things. It, it uh, I don't think it probably does, in my opinion. But well, it's you know, it's all valid points. I mean, you know, to to show you know, and again, you know, in my day job, you know, when I'm an emergency manager and I, and I talk about hurricanes, I mean, people are like you got to scare these people. You got to tell them they're all going to die. <laughs> you know, that kind of falls on deaf ears. Um, telling people you are going to get hurt as a woodworker, you are going to lose a finger, just a matter of time. I don't think that's necessarily good. But, you know, I'm a communicator, and I made a mistake, and it was a stupid mistake. But, again, there were never any smart mistakes, right? That's true. Um, so you never really make a smart mistake, and, and I had to share the lesson. It's not a matter of me trying to gross anybody out. Believe me, I haven't shown you the wound with the giant glass and, and another way to think about it is, you know, sometimes you have to be careful. You have to be careful what you share with people because – if you share somebody a whole bunch of fingers of you know pictures of some somebody losing fingers and stuff, there can be a fear there that that gets so much that that when they're they're gonna I'm going to do this I'm going to get in there anyway. But sometimes you build up this nervousness and 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 you kind of lose some of your natural reactions and stuff because mm-hmm. there's a tension that's built up mm-hmm. that maybe your normal reflexes aren't going to pick up on and and you got to be careful with it. You have yeah. to. You can't get people too afraid because then the tension's too much, and yeah. so there's a fine line there, and 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 how you inform people. I I wrote about that in my uh, woodworking safe today post this morning about 
what has been my experience watching people get injured on job sites is that I think, personally, I think you're much more likely to get hurt when you're nervous and anxious about what you're doing. And mm -hmm. then you're not, you're, you're, you're distracted by being nervous and you're not paying attention mm -hmm. to the task at hand. You're focusing on not getting hurt at right. the expense of the task at hand, which then gets you hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen people get hurt when, you know, if they'd just been calm, everything would have been okay. And the, the fact that they're distracted and nervous just complicates everything. So I think that's, again, not going to keep you safe in all circumstances. But if you're at the point where you can't focus because you're just nervous, that's a great time to walk away. There's a, there's a great analogy. You know, talk about, they talk at sports where they talk about teams not playing to lose. And they usually end up losing because they get conservative and they don't want to shoot the basket or throw the ball or, or shoot, the, shoot the puck at the goal. And by playing not to lose, they end up losing. So I think if you're woodworking, not trying to get hurt, and you're so conscious about, I don't want to touch anything because I'm going to get hurt, either you won't be woodworking anymore, or you will get hurt because you're so, you know, there needs to be a certain comfort level, but it can never be a comfort level to the exclusion of that respect for the tools. Right. You can't just say, well, push it through. I don't care. I got, I got nine I'll more. Good to go. I'll, I'll, I'll come without a rip fence or a miter. Fence. It doesn't matter. You know, and then, and those are the people who end up like in that saw in the lawsuit where the table saw happened a couple of years ago. The guy got a multi million dollar settlement because he was trying to freehand boards on a, on a benchtop saw. You know, not really the best idea, but there's got to be the healthy respect for the tools, um, yeah. but not to the point where you're terrified to get in the room with and I, and I think that's it. I think the the bottom line is is if we've kind of we've kind of let this go free flow tonight and just kind of bounce back and forth to, to a lot of different topics. And you know, and the, the the point is is you've got to have a healthy respect there, and you've got to be informed. You know, before you jump in there, just don't be afraid. Don't go into a table saw with a fear of the table saw. Go into a table saw with a little bit of understanding of how the table saw works. Mm -hmm. With a little bit of understanding what causes accidents and 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 be informed, you know, information is is the is the key there, and it's you know not being afraid of something, just going into it with some information and figure out ways again to stack the deck in your favor. Um, you right. know, again, the most important safety tools between your ears, um, but then again, also there's the other stuff that really increases the odd that you're going to end up in the right thing, and that splitter, the uh, yeah, it's right there. Um, <laughs> You know, the splitter, the, the, you know, the hold downs, the feather boards, you know, if, and can I, can I add something? I wrote my post today kind of jokingly from the voice, from the perspective of the little voice in my head. Do you guys have the little voice in your head? No. I read no, that and I was like, it's just you, brother. I, I wasn't sure if you would just use yeah. that for dramatic effect. I, I honestly don't. No. Maybe I'm just numb no. as a human being. I have no sense of emotion at all, but. Yeah. And I could, I could remember so vividly. I mean, that's the thing about this accident. Normally, it's like, oh, it just happens. I don't know what I was doing. I remember vividly looking at that splitter and that guard on a table, thinking to myself, don't you want to put that on? See, and thinking, no, it's too much of a pain in the butt. And all it took was two seconds to walk around a saw and screw it on, and I'd be done. And that's all it would have taken. But it just, it, it just, I can remember vividly looking down at it going, should put that on. Eh, I won't need it. I, I literally did that this weekend. I was sitting here. You do have a voice then. No, I, I do. Because this weekend I was sitting here and, and I was making, um, got the, the little project I'm working on right now is, um, a little humidor, uh, cigar mm -hmm. box. And so I was doing. It's coming um, to Connecticut, by the way. 
<laughs> That's, I'm going to bring it with me. That's right. right. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's so, okay. so it's it's you know Spanish cedar and then it's got some veneer and grain on the end. And so I was when I was making the box, I was kind of going back and forth between the, the dado set and just the regular blade, making some some cuts there. Um, and when I was taking off my my dado stack and putting on the regular, mm-hmm. and I just it just something in my head goes, "Hey, did I unplug this?" And I looked in the floor. And the saw was still plugged up, and I had the wrench on there. I had it almost loose, and and I said, "Ah, there's no way it's going to come on." And I'm then I couldn't, it. I couldn't stand it. I said, "This this is freaking me out. I can't." I hear this switch. How's it going to turn on? <laughs> uh, so I I pulled my hands away. I went over there and unplugged it, and then came back. And so it was that and voice then- in my head saying. No, you have to unplug this. And, and the crazy thing is, more than likely, it's not going to anything happen. But still, and and the crazy thing is, it's usually stuff that'll take you three seconds to do. That's right. It's that's, it's that's like the there's got to be a better way to do it. I still remember one time I was trying to cut a bevel on on the end of a board, and I'm trying to push it through, holding it with my fingers on the rip fence, trying to balance. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> No, no, do something else. Even get out a draw knife and try to do it. Don't do it that way. And, you know, and, and we don't have, except for Diami, we all have a voice in our heads because, you know, idiot, you can save a lot of trouble. And, you know, I'll tell you what, the voice is screaming loud in my head now, like, hey, you know, you need to really look at how you use that tool and that tool and that tool. And, you know, and you bought those gripper things that you could have been using, but they were an arm's reach away from the saw, but it was too much for you to do and reach for it. Yeah, you know, Yami, maybe. Like, yes, Chris. Psychotic. I don't know. Maybe you should bring one of your sons out there and just keep one of your sons in the shop at all times. Go, uh, Dad. Yeah. Really you know, I'm going to say that it's a it's a difference in semantics because I wouldn't call those thoughts a voice in my head. I like to think that I'm just going to think to unplug the saw. Um, <laughs> But I'll, I'll comment on the the gripper is certainly not a, a high point of my safety because the gripper is actually sitting in the same box as my splitter unopened underneath the table saw extension so, wing. So you had yeah, a real safety purchase. You, yeah, you, you I, went. You're like, man, I'm going to buy all this safety equipment. I'm not going to use it. It was all when I bought the saw. I bought all this stuff to accessorize it, and I got to the point where the saw cut, and that's where it still is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can't say anything but about it. But you're the, too experienced, so I'm not, not going to give you the and, lecture. You, and, understand? you know, as, you know, watching Kevin, my friend, cut his fingers off was life-altering. I mean, that took, it took me like two weeks to get back in the shop after watching that happen. Um, but yet, the army doesn't use a splitter. Well, forget about that. I mean, what Chris is talking about growing up without using a splitter, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, certainly, I've used a table saw since I was probably 14, 15, something like that, and I, we never had splitters, but that said, my entire life, my dad's had a scar from here to here that he did on a table saw. And, and I think, I think the, the, the problem with that is I think that when we, a lot of us did probably grow up, and that was the reason I asked Tom, I asked you, did you always use one? Because I think that's a valid point. I but, mean, let, but, let's, but let's, let's extend this out. We grew up with our parents' no, no, no. cars, and, nobody had seatbelts. No, no, no. And, and what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. What I'm getting yeah. at is, is not that I'm justifying me not using it. What I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, a lot of new woodworkers, I think it's great because they just, if if you use that and that's the way you know how a saw works, then you're fine with it. But the problem is, is 
you know, when when you've grown up never using them, you it's so hard to switch over. But but you know, we've got to force ourselves to, and and even yeah. myself included. You know, I need to, you know, I need to step up to the plate and and just go out and 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 get a good you know riving knife or whatever would probably be my choice to put it on my saw and just go. You know what? I, I never used one from the time I was a little kid until now either, but I went and put one on and I've got used to it. So, so I think it's one of these things that it's where we get so comfortable and you get so comfortable using a piece of machine a certain way. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go out there and change it, but we need yeah. to. We need to do yeah. the right thing and go out there and do it. You get complacent. Yeah. That's right. But well, I mean, here's the, here's the funny thing though. A lot of research just got into these new guards and these new riving knives. It's not like, right. Because I, you know, I remember my dad saw back at home when we were renovating our basement back in the early eighties, and it had nothing on it, and it was like a little cheapy fence that didn't lock it back, and it did this number. And dad built the basement out with it. God bless him. He still has all his fingers and eyes and all that other business. But the technology's gotten to the point now where you look and you go to a store that has a table saw, and you see the advances in the in the guard technology, and it's like even I could use that. And yeah. Without with minimal thought, I mean, it's the kind of thing where if you step into any saw now, I mean, even a new rigids, you know, they sell at Home Depot for less than five hundred bucks, have that technology. Right. So it's the kind of thing where it's you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a. Well, we can only afford this, or we're only this safe, and if you cut them up here, everybody's got it. The saws that have come out in the last three or four years, I think one of the regulating bodies said they needed to have riving knives recently, yeah. and the newer saws are certainly much, much nicer. But my, you know, I I finagled this thing at work. I bought a used contractor saw off Craigslist, and I traded it for the unopened contractor saw we had at work, which is why I paid so little for mine. But I've, it's only like four years old. It's brand new. And the the splitter, I could have made work, and I was just out of habit and laziness, I didn't. But I'll, I'll argue that the actual plastic guard over it, there's, you can't use the saw with that piece of crap on it. Um, so the, fa- the fact that they've made huge improvements very recently is a tremendous gain to the whole community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, now they have the independent guards. So, like, if you're only cutting, you know, they, they pop up independently. Right, so and they, they're, they're, just, they're much smaller and they move and they're, they're just – they're workable, which is such mm-hmm. a great thing. Uh, but you, you talk about your dad saw. It, the, the craziest saw I've ever seen is I, I was at a slate factory where they quarry slate and turn it into – roofing slate and it was probably a 24 to 30 inch diameter blade set up almost like a chop saw so it's up there up at this height i'm, I'm holding it up my hands up for people who are listening later and the guy is just freehand taking a block of slate and sliding it in <laughs> to cut little pieces off Jeez. and i'm just standing there uh, my mouth my jaw dropped open i was like holy crap um but I guess slate doesn't kick back. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't pinch the way well, it does. The thing is, yeah, I mean, you don't, you're not going to cut a 30-inch piece of slate across this diameter and then hit those back teeth. That is absolutely true. He was not hitting so the back teeth. But it was just this, this giant easier. blade with no Give fence up. of any type and no guard of any type. It was just this giant spinning blade. It made me nervous I to be in the room. falling into it face yeah. first. <laughs> I have somebody oh. you don't want to get into that deal. Um, you know, but again, it's it's that it's that thought that you know that the new technology it's just becoming. And, and I think it's great as people come into the to the craft, they're getting the kind of improved safety equipment on it. And I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to just say, 
What is Tom talking about? How did I do it? I remember he ripped everything off, threw it out, and I, I, I lay down on my table, saw what I cut. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, that's great. That works for you. That works for you. As long as you understand the risks of what you're doing. This is not like being out on the road doing 150 miles an hour and 25 mile hours and you can hurt somebody else. You're in it for you. And if you get hurt, you get hurt. But we don't want that because enough people get hurt, then, you know, who's going to come to the craft? Oh, my Uncle Bubba drove, you know, dove headfirst into a table saw. Uh, you know, we want to make sure it's, that it's discouraging. So I, I think we can sum this up by saying that it's important to respect your tools, respect the process. Pay attention to what you're doing. Use best practices. Is that a fair summary? That's and don't be scared of it. Just just be cautious of it. Um, I understand but, you can do the work, but you know you want to respect it. Yeah. But having talked about how we could all injure ourselves for almost the past hour, I just want to quickly touch on something a little more positive before no we way. wrap this up. Yeah, I, so I figured, you know, since this is just the three of us blathering this week, um, Chris, what have you been building lately? <laughs> Other than, you know, hurting yourself in the shop, what have you actually produced in the shop? Um, let's see, I've, I've got a couple of projects I've been working on. I, um, of course, the chisel cabinet I pretty much finished up, but I actually needed to put a finish on it. Um, Shop furniture. I, I know, but I still wanted to finish on it. So, what did you finish it with? Uh, I I used a wipe on poly, and um, you know, with the with the maple and then the chestnut, you know, just putting that finish on there just really pops that that contrast out between the two. So, uh, so did that. Can I ask you about poly for a second. Um, mm-hmm. I this is a little tangential, but I was I used some some zincer polyurethane for the last floor I finished. Zinser mm-hmm. makes um, right. the bin primer. It's owned by DAP. You know, there's a million different brands under the Zinser thing. And I've not seen Zinser since I bought it, but it was really nice polyurethane. It was much better than the typical Minwax. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw that Rust-Oleum is another Zap brand, and they had, a, they had a poly. So I just bought a tiny little, I don't know what it is, like half a pint or something. It's the smallest container of it they have. And I got it home, and I was reading the fine print on the back, and I realized it was water-based. And mm-hmm. I felt offended. I, I felt like they ripped me off by putting it in the section with the regular poly. Why on earth would I want water-based poly? And is that my own bias, like the fact that I grew up using oil-based poly and, and, a, and a dangerous table saw? Or, um, you know, should I be more accepting of the fact that it's just water-based poly? Look, I, I, I'm, no, I'm no chemist. I'm not, you know, Mark Spagmala is the, the chemist in our woodworking little atmosphere. But but you know what, my my opinions on it just from ex, you know use and experience and stuff is you know there's applications for it. I mean I I personally like um, like oil base. An oil base is going to give it it's going to give it kind of a yellowy kind of a glossy kind Amber. of a, a finished look. Where whereas a water base is going to make it look more like natural wood. It doesn't get that. You know it doesn't really change. If you take if you take that that uh, that wood, if I were to put a water base on it, it really doesn't change it much. It doesn't change it as far as color. It keeps that flat, natural wood. Now, personally, I like the look of putting that oil base finish on it because it brings out some some richness and brings some vibrance out. Whereas the the water base does not. Um, you know, I I remember using water base years ago. Um, we were we were doing a set of cabinets uh, that that my dad. Um, uh, there was a guy that worked for my dad, and I worked in, in my dad's shop for, for years building cabinets. And, and we we did a set of cabinets, and we were using oil-based, you know, polyurethane. 
Well, the cabinets had a stain on them, and they were, it was a set of oak cabinets. Of course, oak is very porous. At the time, I had no clue about pre-raising grain and stuff like that. So we used a stain on it. The stain popped the grain, you know, just a little bit. Then we put that water-based polyurethane on it, and it pulled that grain out. Of course, what we do, we took some sandpaper and kind of smoothed it back out. And when we did that, it just, it cut little, you know, all those little rough spots. It cut those off and left spots all over it with it just kind of ripped through and with so no I learned right with with no stain so so I, I learned that you know that was where I learned you've got to pre-raise the grain when, when you're using that stuff um, but personally I, I still use um, I've, I've I've used the water base a few other times since then and, and pre-raise not had any issues with it but I, I still like the look of an oil base and it's probably not as good for the environment but I prefer it do you you know, when I'm buying a pint, can it matter? I'm sure that the water-based stuff isn't really all that good for the environment either. You know, I, I don't mean I don't to, to sound. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I mean they, you know, they kind of argue, and it's it's less clean up and and all that. But I, I I've just I've never had that big of an issue using that oil, so I've always stuck with it. You look stern, Tom. What do you, what do you prefer to finish with? You know, it's funny because you know I do still use oil-based. Um, but, you know, the one place where water base really shines is if you're building some sort of cabinet and it's enclosed. Um, you know, I will, and I have, you know, where I build a um, pantry for our kitchen and I built one for our friend's kitchen. And where the food is stored, I finish the inside with water base because there's no odor. Oh, see, I would, I, the only the only finish I would consider for that would be shellac. And shellac, again, and not another option, but something that won't have that lingering odor hanging on. And mm-hmm. I think the poly is a little tougher than shellac. It won't. If you spill some alcohol and if you're using these liquor cabinets or something like that, you can you can affect that finish. The water base is going to be a lot more constant, provide more abrasion resistance. Um, but you know, for the outside, I'm using water. I'm using oil based. And so you would mix them on the same piece. You'd mix them with the water on the inside and the oil base on the outside. I don't, want, it, I don't want to smell on the inside, of it, especially with this yeah. food. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna affect the flavor of the food that's inside. I don't want any of that. So I'm water. Are you suggesting that polyurethane doesn't taste good? I've, I've tried a couple of glasses full of it. You know, had a nice, a nice little you know flavor of the terroir where it was, was raised. But you know, other than that, I mean, they don't want to. I mean, it's an interesting point. I've never, I've, I've always used oil based, but I've never worried about it because you know it eventually burns off. You know, you're going. Yeah, to... but again, if you've got it enclosed, you know, if you're putting mm-hmm. doors on something. And especially if you're storing food in there, that takes yeah. a lot longer for that to gas off gas. Right. Outside, yeah. it'll be gone in a couple of days. Inside, right. it may linger. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, by the end of a year, you'll never notice it. But, you know, no, it's, good. Wanna, it's a valid point, though. So just for me, that's, I don't mind mixing. But anyway, I, I completely derailed this. So your chisel that's cabinet okay. is now finished? Well, for, for the most part, I, you know, I, I, once I got it actually up on the wall before I put the finish, I actually like doing that because it makes me look at it and go, what don't I like about it? And yes, it's shop furniture and I know it's just for it, but I can't help it. So I still pick up like I had a brass piano hinge on it. I hate brass. I, I, you know, I know you guys have heard me say this before. I hate brass. I don't like anything brass or gold or anything colored like that. So, so I, I took it off and I actually, sanded to scuff up the brass on it and actually painted it black. So the piano hinge is, is black now. So. That's awesome. 
Uh, it's, put a little, it works for put a little hand power hand. too, my friend. Yeah, I oh. just so it, it looks better to me. I look at it, oh yeah, that's much better looking. But so anyway, no, I, I, I completely I agree with you on the breasts. Every bit of metal work in my house that I've installed is just a matte, uh, like a satin. Yeah, nickel or nickel uh, finish, you know, yeah. yeah, any of that that I'm good with. But uh, so anyway, other than that, I, like I did say, I am using, and this is kind of a cool little project. Um, I I did want to. I was I was making a, a humidor for for cigars, and I'm you know I'm going through and using the Spanish cedar, which is you know what they suggest using for a humidor because it's it's very stable, and then you know. <laughs> Well, I'll, 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 caveat. I'll caveat this. It does add the flavor, but I'm going to tell you, when you're sitting there in the shop and there's dust flying, that Spanish cedar, and you kind of like lick your lips every once in a while, uh, it tastes like you just stuck your tongue to a bottle of perfume. It is horrible. <laughs> I mean, by the time the end of the day, after fooling with this for a couple of hours, I'm just like, this stuff is nasty. I'm Doesn't that get back to what we said about wearing masks? It does, but you know, I mean, it's still in the shop some, and you know, it was. Oh my! Small project. It's like, but so, but the cool part on it was, was what I did was I, I, I made the box and I, I put um, all the sides together, so it's a solid box right now. You can't get into it. Um, and then what I did was I had, uh, I had a couple of locust boards that that. Um, that were from up in North Carolina and these things have been outside for probably a hundred years or something. I mean, they're really rough. Um, and they're probably, probably a little over probably two and a quarter, two and a half inches thick. Um, and I think they were about seven and a half inches wide and they're just super old. And, and my dad and I were kind of playing around with this probably a year or two ago and just doing some slices off the end of it. And we're looking at, and so that's what I did. I ended up slicing like quarter, uh, well, probably about three sixteenths inch, uh, end grain slices off of it. And then I've, I've used those as a veneer on it. And I, and I turned each one to where they, they match. So like the, the, the curvature of the grain, you know, goes in on the two center pieces and on the outside, they, so they go. Like a, a book match. It, it, it is book match. Book and, match. And, no, right, right. But it's really cool looking. It looks really neat, but did you mention in maybe a tweet about it that you were going to use something on the corners? I, I will, because my concern was, well, two things. I'd never make it look right just to try to get those to, to match up. So um, so what I'm going to do is I, I've got all the sides glued on now, and then what I'm going to do is just I'll just basically put a groove around every single edge all the way around to where I've got like maybe a, a, a quarter-inch notch all the way and then I'm taking wenge and then cutting a quarter inch square and then gluing that onto all the corners because it'll be edge banding like all the way through because you got to think this is it, it's end grain so if anything hits that there's nothing to hold it I mean it's there's no stability there so so I want something that's going to give me a really strong corner guard all the way around and it kind of adds to it I think on the 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 four corners that are going down I'm probably actually going to thicken those up and kind of pop them out a little and then do like kind of a leg on those just to give it a little bit more but it's um, cool you're done want pictures 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 oh you know I I can't stand to I, I have to post like <laughs> there'll be there'll be pictures in like Newsweek and <laughs> the local paper 
I'll take it to all the school kids and show them. (laughs) Just stand at the bus stop. Hey, kids. Stand at the bus stop and show them. Uh, So you build anything? uh, How's your cross box coming, Tom? Did you finish it before you impaled yourself? After after I recover, I got it done. Um, And that's in the mail right now. Um, the next one of the next projects coming up is going to be a new platform bed. Ah, um, ah. Rhonda has we have we have a we have a bed we bought from one of the little chain furniture stores here when we first got married, and it's got these horns, these these egg horns that come out that guaranteed to drill right in the middle. Of I'm the not I'm not going to make a comment on a bed with horns. Um, but anyway, it's got these, these 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 pieces that jut out. You know, walk into it in the middle of the night. You just deep, deep thigh burrs. Um, so we're 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 looking to replace this, and also we want to get rid of our nightstands. You know, we, we've got you know these two drawer nightstands, and where it is in the wall, they just kind of get in the way. So I was going to do like some sort of floating shelf coming off the side, or maybe some sort of casing attached built in integral to it. Um, and I was thinking, I saw a rough cut. There was there, there was an episode where you get a bed headboard. And it was this kind of unique looking piece of wood. And I'm going to start looking around for something with some live edge. Maybe put that as the headboard oh. on it. And then kind of just have it based maybe cherry or something like that. You know, something more, you know, easy to find, easy to source. And then doing something unique for the, for the back piece. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. That should be nice. Now, did, you, did you tweet somewhere that it's a queen size bed? Yeah, it's a queen size bed. Yeah. You guys are crazy. I, We're both spelt. You're both crazy. I'm sorry. That's uh, yeah. No, uh, we can we can have that discussion in a different podcast. It's a different discussion. No, it's the kind of thing where we can get a king size bed, but our house isn't all that large. So, but then I can see your house down as well. So, yeah, my house. I don't think my my house doesn't strike me as all that large. But I'll tell you, getting a king size bed was one of the best things we've ever done. Oh wow! But anyway, perhaps I've shared too much. Well, you know, I'm in the middle of a tree house. I'm in the middle of a shop renovation. I've got this crazy walnut and ebony glue gun rack I'm in the middle of building. So I figured, what the hell? I need to build a chair now. So I spent. I guess we have. That's, that's what it talked to me. So that's what the voice inside my head said was make a chair. Uh, so I spent the weekend just messing around with, with leg designs and joints. Um, cause I want to make, I'm going to have the, the, I don't know if you'd call it a foot, but the legs only going to be, there's going to be a front leg, not a back leg, and it'll come down at an angle and then return horizontally back along the bottom, uh, sure. to the back of the chair. And then at the top, it comes back and that's the arm of the chair and the, the seat and the back will kind of nestle in that, I think. So I just kind of made that mock up. <laughs> so, so is there a kind of style you're basing off or just kind of just kind of a freeform just kind of idea or um is it the penultimate style it's the penultimate style yeah i have no yes it's 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 what i did was i um i i have a couple pinterest boards of chairs and i've just been pinning chairs every couple couple days i'll sit down and i'll pin a dozen chairs so and i've just been going through them and going through them and i want to do something sculpted but at least right now i don't want to go through the effort of an entirely sculpted chair. Um, well, let me let me ask you this. I, I mean, I, I know your t- joinery. How are you planning on? Because I, I know you, you love your, I mean, do you, are you planning on using your your, well, the, your domino for it? Or, or, I made, I've got, 
I've got three dominoes in each of the, the two joints. Because I, I made a mock-up, it's like C-shaped, and it's the bottom, the leg, and the top. So I've got two joints there, and each joint is, is three dominoes. And I think I went with 10 by 100, 10 by 120 dominoes. I use the XL. They're the medium-length XL ones. Um, and it was dramatically stronger than I thought it would be. Um, I could barely get it to flex by sitting on and it. And that's what I was just curious about, just how strong that was. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's no question to me that the things are strong. I mean, I've never used one myself. But <laughs> I, <laughs> but that being said, that's Chris, I, that's Chris I, I do. for one from Festool, so. I, I don't. I like I like my methods. I, I'm still comfortable with them. Go for it. Um, but at the same yeah. time, I, I I'm just I am I'm, I'm curious about how it would work. And so, I mean, because I, I think without a, a doubt, a, a chair is going to be the one thing that it's force force that it's going to take. I think it's, a chair is going to take more force than anything else. Yeah, you know? and especially if nobody I'm, sits on a table, but you know, if, chair, if I'm building yeah. a chair with only two legs in the front, the force on those joints over time should be pretty bad. Um, right. So. Anyway, I, I made this one mock-up. Each joint has three dominoes, and it, it's stronger than I thought. Casually off the top of my head, because I'm a chair expert, I'm going to say it's strong enough, but I really don't have a clue. Um, it didn't fail in the test, I'll put it that way. Uh, I'll be interested how it works. Yeah. I'm, I'm either going to keep it like it is, or I'm going to double up the thickness of the arms, and in that case, what I'll do is I'll have the top and bottom cap the, the leg, and then I'll laminate another one where the leg extends past the top and bottom so that when I glue it up, it's not joint and joint. I can put some pins through it on the side. That'll make it a little more complicated, a lot stronger. I want the arms to be that thick, but I don't know that I want the legs to be that thick, and I'm not sure how I'm going to change the... I, I think I want the whole thing to be the same thickness, so I, I got some more design work to do there. Um, yes, you do. But what I was also thinking is it dawned to me rather than... Now, I'm making this chair, so... The legs are all, all at this point, the, the demo I made is Timber Strand, and I've already messed, strand. of course it's Timber Strand, I've already, I've, I can run, t I know I can run Timber Strand through the joiner and planer, I know I can shape it, I've used my cut saw on the Timber Strand to, to, to shape it, and what I'm, this, this is my experiment chair, I, if this chair turns to crap, then it'll turn to crap. Who cares? This is the chair I want to learn on. I, I don't, um. At the end of the day, I want to sand the whole thing to like probably 600 or 1,000 and dye it and put a finish on it. I want the arms to be dark and the seat and the back to be a lighter color. I, I just want to mess with it. Um, but the what, what dawned on me is that pr maybe rather than make the legs out of three pieces and two joints, I might make the legs out of laminated plywood and just cut a C out of the plywood so that the three pieces are in fact just one piece and glue up a bunch of widths of plywood. And I was thinking, well, I could do that out of Baltic Birch. And then I said, but wait, I was going to use Timber Strand, so maybe I'll just do that out of OSB. Um, so I'm not – at this point, I remain unclear as to exactly which material and what method I'm going to use. But it seems as though the, the domino in the Timber Strand is probably strong enough, but I may end up going with a stronger technique, if that answers your question about joinery. No, uh, that's, that's why I asked, because I, I figured you were going to use more of a – I, I know your methods to your madness, and and, and, I, and I'm curious to see how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, method. <laughs> I, I think the, um, you know, and, and what's interesting, you think about timber strand too, and and I think I sent you a picture. I I had a there was a, there was a mirror that I saw that was that was all timber strand, and they'd kind of been sculpted a little bit, mm -hmm. and it 
and had some cool look to it because it's you, neat you know, stuff. By sculpting it like that, you saw some of the dimensions of the timber strand, and uh, it, it's it's funny because we you know for anybody who's listening that doesn't know what it is, timber strand is dimensional lumber, two by four, two by six, that's made like OSB board, and in the world of construction, it's I think better than dimensional lumber because it's it, it's straight and it's true and it's not doesn't warp like a bastard like like two by fours do. Um, well, we actually use it. I mean, it it, it has more compressive strength too. So when yeah, we, we use it. I use it when I every once in a while. In fact, I think I've got one coming up. I'll, I'll tweet about these giant torsion boxes we build that are like eight foot or twelve foot by sixteen foot, and I build those torsion boxes using timber strand as the as the ribs in them because. Um, they're, it's heavy, but it is it is pretty strong, and it's just it's nice material to work with. Um, but I got to build my son a desk probably over the summer, and what I think I'm going to do for the desk is make the desk surface OSB end grain, laminate like two inch wide rips of because I got all the scrap OSB from the shop, so I think I'm going to laminate two inch two inch wide strips of OSB into a desktop. And I'm just gonna my my goal is to just sand the the hell I the the OSB is so dense it doesn't have gaps in it I think after I sand it and put on you know it'll be a nice thick plasticky finish it's not gonna be an you know an oil finish or anything but when it's all done I I think it'll be a, a nice surface and it's my you're son's gonna, desk so again if it doesn't work out it's or, just your son come on it doesn't matter with manufactured wood products <laughs> it's all about the <laughs> every time I see something that's made out of timber strand or OSB or so I take a picture of it and send it to Yami. Ooh, Yami will like this. <laughs> What's not the like? Come on, it's timber strand. I think timber strand is awesome. It's the bees knees. Hey guys, you know what? We've been at this for about an hour right now. What do you see we wrap this up? I think it's time. I, but you know, I could talk about timber strand all night. So I've got to say one. I, look, I've got to say one other thing because I, because you know, Tom, you get like. Weekly, you get to write for these guys, but oh, I've got my my first article right. in Wood Magazine. This, this Does, has that hit newsstands yet? I don't know. Uh, they sent me my copy, and it's supposed to hit newsstands, it, but I I was in Home Depot yesterday and didn't see it. So you got actually that's the one issue one issue <laughs> out of the year that they don't send to newsstands. I, maybe it is. It may be the only one. They said, we're not going to send but, this one out. We're just going to use an in-house, and Chris gets the only copy. I, I'll say I've got a copy of it. Um, the scariest thing about it, Chris, is, the is article, there's, which, was, which was beautiful. Somebody was, photobombed it. Somebody photobombed your article, and I don't know who that person is. There's like a monkey. And, there's a shop monkey. Yeah, they ought to stand up and take credit for what they did. Well, when, when they find out who it is, they'll <laughs> The, the the funny part about that, and I think I said this, uh, I, I posted the other day, and I think Rob had um, said that it would it, it, you, that Tom had photobombed. So basically, it was a uh, when when I sent the picture in of me planing, and there's my laptop. It was blank. There was nothing on my laptop. It was completely blank. So it was just like so whatever say. they wanted to. Right. It was blank at the time, <laughs> and then mysteriously. Someone showed up, so you've got to go and pick up the this. Yeah, get your copy months. and just you know draw a little beard and horns on the on the guy on the computer, and you're all golden. So don't worry about it. And I think we've all experienced this: is that when you contribute to any magazine and you get that contributor's copy before it hits newsstands, it's just the coolest thing. 
And I say that not to gloat because there's nothing special about any of us who are, you know, other than that, we're three idiots with an internet connection. Um, that's really the only qualification we have to do this podcast. That's right. Um, but it, it's worthwhile reaching out to any of the magazines you read and ask them about, you know, how you get in and what you can do because right. any idiot can get into the magazines. Um, and yeah, we, we demonstrate that. So it, it's worth trying to and, and you can, and it's just a really cool experience. It is. When you get your and, work. Yeah, even better, even better than getting a contributor's copy is when you walk in to a Home Depot, a Lowe's, a Barnes and Noble, someplace like that, you look and just stack. That is, yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten questions. Why somebody can see my article? Look, would it, would it be a faux pas? Would it be a faux pas if I went over there and like opened it up to the article and like trying to show people, hey, look, look, <laughs> what, wait, what? What can you look? Look at this article right here. Look at this. Hey, you recognize this guy? Chris, you open it up and you point to Tom on the laptop and you say, "I know him." (laughs) Perfect. Chris, Chris, open them all. Go to go to your local Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever, with a sharpie and autograph every single (laughs) one. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm gonna do that. Stand there with a sharpie, and I can even put a sign around my neck. No, just just do it and then like, just put do it leave. Just yeah, go leave. Like, Who the hell is this? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, we all have to have our fun somehow. And speaking about fun, all good things must come to end. This episode is at that point where we're, yeah, we're past that because point. Because it is yeah, we're done. It stopped being oh, good right. about an hour and twenty minutes ago. Yeah, after that, it was. I think it was hello, and that was it. So, well, I'll tell you what. Where can people? Find us. Well, if I pe- can be found. Hold on. I can be oh, found at TomWithTomsWorkbench.com, where you can find me at TomsWorkbench on Twitter. Chris, where, pe- where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at HighRockWoodworking.com, or you can find me on Twitter at HighRockWW, and all kinds of other random places. And Wood Magazine this month. And Wood Magazine, too. And Diami, where can people find you? Well, I can be found on the Twitters at Diami Plotke, D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. I'm, I'm going to keep saying Twitters until you stop laughing, Tom. And, uh, and I'm at penultimatewoodshop.com. <laughs> and uh, if you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for Modern Woodworkers Association. And once you're subscribed, you'll be sure never to miss one of these exciting episodes. And some weeks we actually have guests and real topics. Um, while you're there, if you could leave us a, a five-star rating, it would be fantastic because that help, helps us with our uh, our search within iTunes, and it just helps more people find out that there are idiots uh, podcasting about wood. And people like to leave sometimes not-so-nice comments, but when you guys actually enjoy it, sometimes you don't want to leave comments. So it is appreciated. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. Um, and you can also find out more about us at modernwoodworkersassociation.com. Or follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You could like the MWA on Facebook or circle the Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. And while you're on Google+, be sure to join the Modern Woodworkers Association Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. And we got a couple guys on the community who are constantly posting, and I continue to be impressed by the conversation that goes on on the community. So I would definitely ask everybody to check that out. Just remember, it's not the little voice in your head. Hey, and and one other thing on on as as far as where you can find us and stuff is, um, last month I actually stopped being a slacker and I actually put our 
first official newsletter. Um, it wasn't great, but you it know was what? Awesome. No, it, it was, was awesome. Start. Don't sell yourself short. It was so, fantastic. Um, so what what I'm doing is as I've and I've actually already had a couple of guys respond to this, and I'm asking everyone else that's listening to this, please, please, please send me stuff. You can send it to um, Modern Woodworkers Association at gmail.com, or you can send it to High Rock Woodworking at gmail.com. Either one of those, send me an email and send me either some pictures of your shop and a little write-up about your shop. Send me a pictures of a project that you want to talk about and, and send me send it to me because I want this newsletter that we're going to be doing to, to have content and not just be about us. I want it to be about the members. So I've already got uh, a couple of guys that's already sent me some stuff and some fantastic stuff that's going to be coming up in, in the uh, the next newsletter, which I'll have out in the next uh, probably week, week and a half. Um, so if you've got some stuff, send it in. And if you have not went on there, make sure you go to the Modern Association.com and there's a Join Us tab on there. Go through there, sign up. Um, Make sure that you sign up for that, and and another thing is make sure you put your um your zip code in there because that also allows us to to know where your location is, and and it uh, we've got some cool stuff we're doing with that. We're actually going to have like a little map, and we we do already have this, but we're trying to find a good location for it. That yeah, Mark's doing some great work on that. It just yeah, absolutely phenomenal, and it's 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 if, for those of you who haven't saw this, um, um, there's a there's a map that um. Loogie on Twitter and uh, it's uh, Mark and I say this wrong. Hochstein, Hochstein. Yes, um, has has put together and it and it's it's like a Google map that shows all of our locations and it's got a little pinpoint for all of the, the the MWA members and it's very impressive to look at, very cool. So it's that's pretty exciting. So anyway, I've well, rambled Chris, on with that. Okay, Chris. Well, since you said send you anything, I will send you a big box of sawdust and my frilly underwear. But that's a discussion for another week. I remember, membership to the NWA is free, but the friendships you make will be priceless. I'm your resident shop monkey, Tom Iovino, wishing you all, as always, take care. Stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>